I'd like you to open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 6. And for several weeks we have been talking about the family order. And last week we began to start ministering on the responsibility of parents in raising their children. And the first admonition that is here in verse 4 is he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so we were really stressing in that message the importance of raising our children in the Lord and keeping them, delivering them from the effects of the world. Now, I would like to minister on another area of that same verse this morning, and then we'll have to pray about maybe one more, because I've really got a lot to say about nurturing, and I don't think we're going to be able to get into that this morning. But one of the things that he speaks of here is he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You know, this is kind of a revolutionary teaching because in the in the days of the Romans, there was a law that the fathers had, similar, similar to like what you have in Iran today, that was referred to as patria potestas. And what that meant was the authority, absolute authority of the father. And things were a whole lot different there than they were in this country. For example, when a child was born, the child was set between the father's knees, and the father had the choice. That baby could live or die. It was in the, it was in the authority of the father. If he picked the child up, then the child, it was said that the child then would live and they would raise him. But if he got up and he left the child sitting there, then the child, for the most part, was disposed of and thrown away. Some might take and adopt it into uh, slavery or whatever, but it was kind of a choice that was left uh, expressly in the role of the father. In fact, there was an old letter, and I thought I had a copy of it here, that was uh, found, this goes back to 1 B.C., and it expresses the attitude of the father toward children. Let me read just a little bit of it to you. It says, Hilaron, Hilaron to Alice, his wife, heartiest greetings. Know that we are still even now in Alexandria. Do not worry. If when all others return, I remain in Alexandria, I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child. As soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If you have another child, if it is a boy, let him live. If it is a girl, throw it out. That was dated 1 B.C., found by archaeologists. Uh, it reflects that type of law that was in existence then. That's really hard maybe for us to understand. But yet in Iran, when uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini came in, he was restoring back a lot of old Muslim laws. I don't know if any, any of you ever saw the movie entitled Not Without My Daughter, which was made several years ago. And it was based upon a true story and about true events that take place in that country. And it was about a doctor in this country that left to go back to Iran and took the daughter with him. And then the mother was trying to uh, get the daughter and bring her back to this country because she was the one that had custody. Well, once she got over there, it was a totally different set of rules. Uh, I re just remember one thing, and then I'll go on. I remember how that she was trying to work with other American contacts to get the daughter out of the country. 
And one lady that she ran across, who was the wife of another Iranian man, was helping her to a certain degree. And then one day she saw her and her husband moved in and said, you're not allowed to talk to my wife anymore. And she looked at the woman. The woman was just all black and blue, just beaten to a pulp. And in that culture, if a woman, for example, uh, rebels against her husband, he has the right to beat her, uh, has the right to kill her if he wants. It's a different culture. We live in America where things are a whole lot different than uh, other places, a lot of other places in the world. So in Romans' day, this was a very revolutionary teaching for fathers not to uh, provoke their children, but to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And yet, holding your finger there, it's kind of interesting that the last verse of the Old Testament God was speaking in Malachi about the coming, the returning of the Lord and the ministry of John the Baptist. But the last verse in the Old Testament is one which states this. It says, He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. One of the things that God was going to do was restore relationships in the home and the family. So, a father in that day and age could sell his children into slavery. He could work them in the fields in chains. He could beat them. He could kill them. He could do whatever he wanted with them. But what God says to the fathers, and it's to the parents, literally, in the Greek, that we are not to provoke our children under wrath, but we're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, there's a lot of books out there you can buy on raising children. We kind of have a uh, variety here in the church some years ago, we had a lot of little children. But now, we, we don't have as many little ones as we do older ones. And I don't want to get into all the teachings on raising little children, because there's so many books out there that you can read, and if you pray about it, the Holy Spirit can, can teach you. You just have to kind of learn as you go. I mean, I didn't feel like I, was, I knew exactly how to raise kids when I started having children. I just figured it out. It was a Something about something that every day when something come up, you figured out how to take care of the situation. And if you didn't do it right, well, then on the next one, you didn't make that mistake. But you look back at it, you know you made some mistakes on some things, but you learn as you went. But, so I'm not going to try to get into all the, all the different things, but some of the different books that are out there will guide you and say, here's what you want to do to avoid uh, your child delinquency, or here's what you want to do if you want your children to grow up and serve the Lord. I take sometimes these different books and their little guidelines and I and I kind of give myself a test and examine myself to see whether or not I think I did what they said I should do in raising my family because a lot of my kids are gone now. Here's some sociologists, for example, from, from Harvard that have suggested four things that would result in uh, your children not becoming delinquents. And these four things, he meant, let me mention them to you. One of them, he says, is the father's discipline. It must be firm, be fair, be consistent. Now, you parents out there that your kids are older, ask yourself that question, you dads. Have you disciplined your children? Have you been firm with them and yet been fair with them and consistent? You know, sometimes uh, the only time that discipline comes across is when a child has bugged his parents to the point whereby... They just explode. God wants you to discipline them and correct them before you explode. Okay. He wants you to be firm and fair and consistent. Not wait until they get under your skin and then, then, then you correct them, but it's too harsh. The mother's supervision, she must know where her children are, what they're doing at all times, 
be with them as much as possible. Yeah, I think Bev did that. She tried to do that as much as possible. Even when the kids didn't like it, she did it as much as possible. Even when they were in their late teens, sometimes the rules were, we want to know who, we want to know where, we want to know what, we want to know when. You know, we want to know who you're with and what you're doing, when you're going to come back. We set down some rules and we expected them to live by those rules. And uh, so I think we tried to do that. I remember one time uh, Dolan was even in college, but you got to remember he started at in his late 15, but he went one time to a, some kind of a party. I don't really remember what, but uh, Bev went with him to the party, and they had a good time together. But you know that's so unheard of for a, a mom to go with a 15 or 16 year old. I don't think you could drive yet a 16 year old to a party. But uh, that's not a scar, is it, Dolan? I hope not. <laughs> hope I didn't. Oh boy, maybe I scraped open a scab here. Sorry about that. <coughs> Thirdly. Both the father and mother's affection and children need to see the love demonstrated between the father and the mother. And that's physically and emotionally. I mean, this is where a mother and father have to show love between one another in front of them. I mean, if you don't love your husband or if you don't love your wife in front of your children as you should, if you're always criticizing, backstabbing, putting them down, you're just building resentment and criticism uh, in the family. Your children are going to have to decide which one they like better. Don't do that. Be Show mutual love in the family, the husband to the wife. Show some forgiveness. Show some, forget, uh, some patience. And show that to your children, too. Turn right around. Don't be afraid to show love to your children. Don't ever be afraid to say to your, to your children, I love you. I mean, in my life, and it's, you know, in the past, but I cannot remember in my life where my father ever told me he loved me. I cannot remember that. He showed it one time, but I can never remember him saying that. And my, in our family now, I hear Elliot say it, and I've heard all of them say it. Melissa says it, and, and Melody, uh, they all say it. But I've heard them all say it several times a week to you. Love you, Dad. I mean, it's just a common thing. You know what I'm saying? And I've told them many, many times I love them. It's just... It's not something we do, it's just something that is natural. I mean, I remember one time talking to a man that was trying to get his marriage straightened out, and he was following the marriage counselor's rules. And one of them was that every time before you leave in the morning, before you go to work, you say to your wife, you know, I love you, dear. And he was still on problems, and he said to me, I tell her I love her every morning before I leave, like this was a rule to follow to patch up the marriage. And I wanted to say, it's got to be in the heart. It's got to be something that... You do out of the heart. You don't follow a rule, but it's something that is there that you express in the morning before you leave, but you've got to express it in a whole lot of other ways than just saying it like that. And the fourth thing he says here is the family's cohesiveness. The family must spend time together. Well, you know, I think about those four things, and I say, yeah, I feel like those four things have been a part of our family growing up. I have been the head of the home, and the final in regard to discipline, and mom has always wanted to know who, what, when, where, why, what, and all the whatnots of what's going on with the kids. And you, all the kids are smiling. They know that's true. And I know that all the other things that are here, the uh, affection, the love, the cohesiveness, uh, we've all tried to spend time together and express love to one another. Maybe not perfectly, but that's there. So I think I passed that guy's test. Here's another one. You remember we quoted from Paul Meyer last week with his 
uh, facetious illustrations on how to, how to take a good kid and turn him into a drug addict. And he's got that whole book on how to turn him into a thief, how to turn him into a, you know, something bad, and he's speaking facetiously. But he brings out, I think, five things. Let me mention them real quickly. He says that there are five key things uh, for the right kind of parent-child relationship. The first is love. That parents must have a genuine love for each other and for their children. He'd agree with that other sociologist. Secondly is discipline. A firm, consistent discipline. The other man brought that out as well. Thirdly, he says on the list is consistency. Both parents should use the same rules and consistently enforce them so that a child, so that what a child gets away with on some occasions, he's not being punished for on others. And that's not, that's not always easy. You know, you're not setting down rules here. Sometimes I know that um, it seems like Bev and I are always trying to be in agreement on discipline, but sometimes things, she understands things different than I do, or I understand things different than she does, and sometimes we might override one another. Just, just case in point the other night. I was studying, and uh, those storms and stuff were going through, and Zachary called me. He was in Finley with Melissa at a restaurant, and he was saying, you know, Dad, can I go out to a movie with Melissa? I really didn't want him staying out late for reasons I don't want to get into, but I didn't want him being out late, so I said, no, I want you to come right home. And then Melissa called back, and she said, what? Why can't he come to this movie to me? She didn't understand that. And I said, Bev picked up the phone, and I said, Bev, would you take care of this? I'm busy. I was busy, and I wasn't really thinking about what all was there, you know? And so she explained the whole situation to Bev, and then later on, well, Zach goes to the movie, then he comes home, then he went to McDonald's and worked till 2 o'clock in the morning. And I happened to ask her later on, and I said, what'd you let Zach go to the movie for? And she said, because I thought that was safer going to the movie than trying to drive home in the midst of all those nasty storms. I said, you mean that's why they wanted to go to the movie, to avoid the storms? And she said, yeah. Well, I didn't understand that. They didn't explain it to me. See, it would have, it would have worked out a little bit different had Zachary said, Dad, we got uh, tornado warnings flying around. I'd rather not drive home. Do you mind if I camp out in the movie? That'd been, that's a whole lot different situation than... You know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't. I don't know. But we don't, we're not trying to pit against one another. But you just, you just, Bev understands it a little bit different sometimes, or I understand it a little bit different sometimes, and we're not in any way trying to work against one another, but it may seem like sometimes there's an inconsistency. But that's usually a pretty rare situation. So I think I passed that test that he brings out here. <coughs> and the, what's the next one he says? He brings out <laughs> a fourth key to healthy relationships is example. In healthy families, parents don't expect children to live up to the standards they themselves don't maintain. Well, I expect my, you know, I try to live an example to my kids, but there's some things that I don't do that I expect the kids to do too. You know, I don't do the dishes and I don't clean the table off and clean the house, and uh, I will if I need to. I will if there's, you know, if Bev takes a trip or something, then we're not, she's not going to walk into piles of garbage on the table and say, hey, my role, you should never left. Um, but at the same time, that's children's work. And so we, we may say to the kids, hey, you guys set the table, clear the table, do the dishes. That's, that's good responsibility for them to learn. And then he talks about headship as well. And I think that obviously is there. I can read these books is what I'm saying psychologists, sociologists, 
your family's raised and you look back at it and say, did you do these things? You didn't read them before. But yeah, they were there. Those, those principles were there. And that's what makes the family work. Let me give you some other things that I've written down here <coughs> that I feel are essential to doing that one thing that Paul talks about here in Ephesians 6. He says, provoke not your children to wrath. Now, have you ever thought about that? That's a tough one. Provoke not your children to wrath. I mean, you almost want to say, the only way you could provoke not your children to wrath is if you let them have their own way on everything, and if you agreed with everything that they said, but then they'd be bringing you up the nurture and admonition of themselves. They'd be nurturing you, wouldn't they? I mean, if you feel, if you think you're never going to have disagreement with your teenagers, you don't have teenagers yet. I mean, they reach a point where they feel like they really know a whole lot more than you do. And then sometimes later on down the line, they'll come back and they'll say, you know, now I see what you were talking about. That happened not all that long ago. It's something that I don't want to get into, but I was really blessed when I heard it. But I've written down some things here that I would like for you to think about as far as things to avoid so that you don't provoke your children under wrath. One of them is overprotection. This is a spiritual hot potato. It really is. So you find you find where fundamentalists are always crying that uh, the religious world out there says you're way too overprotective of your children, and if you don't quit overprotecting your children, all the blah 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 things are going to take place, and on and on. So this one I think there's obviously a balance with, and I want to try to express myself on this. I think sometimes parents don't let their kids take risks and let them grow up. You have to understand that children are little people that little by little they're growing up. And you can't smother love them all the time. You can't uh, hover over them into a box and not let them learn some things, take some risks, learn some things on their own. If you don't let them take some risks, you're sending a message that says, I don't trust you. You're sending a message that questions everything that they're saying. When they're little, you're going to protect them certainly a lot more than when they're older. But when they start to get older, cut them some slack. Give them some space. Let them grow up. Even if they, they may have to learn sometimes some things the hard way through the school hard knocks. But let them learn some things. There are a lot of good, valuable lessons that they're going to learn by giving them some space and letting them uh, grow up on their own. I can, I can remember times where we let our kids do some things, take some risks, and I know they learn some things by that. I, over, an overprotective parent, for example, would never let their kids uh, do things like go to Cedar Point with a group of kids. Oh, I don't want them to get into trouble. And, you know, they just won't let them go. I can remember one time where we, we dropped four, five, or six of them off at some rivers, some... Uh, yeah, they were rivers in the local area when the streams were high in canoes and said, we'll pick you up about 40, 50 miles downstream. You know, an overprotected mother would have a fit at something like that. Oh, what about all those tree limbs? And what about all the disease in the water? What about all the, you know, they'd be a nervous nilly until they finally got down to the end of the end of the thing. And then as long as the kids are there, you know, they, they, they didn't let them go. They'd be all life jacketed up, helmets on, strapped to the seat. Don't wiggle around. And don't watch them as they're going because they're going to be battling one another with canoes and slipping and rolling and you name it. 
That's how they learn. I remember one time I, you know, bought the, my two older boys, Nate and Dolan, a couple of bicycles when we were down at the camper when I was traveling in the ministry. And I'm sure a lot of overprotective mothers were like the campground owner that she had a fit every time she saw the boys riding their bikes because it was a great big hill on the stones. And they had these uh, dirt bikes. And they'd go to the back of this trail and they'd fly off that hill, come flying off on both wheels through the air, landing down on the rear wheel, hooping and hollering. And Mrs. Trimmer just about had a heart attack every time, every time she saw it. She just couldn't, you know, believe it. And I'm sure a lot of parents, oh, why do you permit that? That's not good behavior. If, what happens if they get all scraped up? They'll learn by their scrape. You've you got to let them grow up a little bit. Learn a few things. And so sometimes I've always applied the principle that Dr. Dobson taught years ago. Kids are like flying a kite. And it's a good principle to think about. You let the kite string out, you let them go a little higher. If they're sailing smooth, no problem, you let a little more string out. You let them get a little higher. If they're sailing along smooth, no problem, let a little more string out. But about the time the kite, start, kite starts doing some loop-de-loops, you start pulling it in. You start getting back into control. That's what I've tried to do with all my kids is to let them have more and more responsibility. And as, as long as things don't get out of control, then we don't have any problems. But when things get out of control, then we start pulling it back and jerking back, and then, then you have to walk those things out. But you can't smother them to whereby you don't let them grow up on their own. It's very important for you to see, and I guess, I guess this is really the third thing that we could say here for pushing for achievement. You have to understand that your kids are their, they're their own individual people. You know, this is, this is something to really think about. You are a person, you're an individual in a body. And everybody's body here is different. We got some short, fat ones up front. We got some tall, skinny ones out there. Everybody's a little different. But you know what? There's a person in that body. That body's like a, like a box. It's a shell. There's an individual inside that body. And every one of us are a little bit different. We're, we're all, we all have our own likes, our own dislikes. And I don't think it's wise for parents to try to cram a child into the mold that they want to create for the child. Let them be themselves. They may, you may like some things they don't like. But don't try to push them into overachievement. Are you saying that you should just let them go and let them find themselves on their own? No, I'm not saying that because children generally have the tendency sometimes to be lazy. And you have to encourage them. You have to train them. I mean, case in point, when they're little, if you're going to say, well, I, I, don't want, I just want Billy to determine that he's no longer going to wear diapers anymore when, when he feels like he's ready to get out of the diapers. If you're not careful, he might be four years old coming up and saying, Ma, you got another pamper in your purse? You want to come wipe me up? <laughs> I mean, I can remember times where we sat there, the little one sat on the little musical chair. You know, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na. I'd say, wait, you crank it up some more. No, you're going to sit there till you go. And you'd make them, you know, and then when they make a mistake, and, uh, you know, the first few times, you don't say a whole lot about it. You say, it's all right, you'll get it. But if they purposely do it, which sometimes you thought they were, and you correct them for it, you spank them for it. 
Say, no, you're not to go in your pants anymore. You're to go in this little chair. You learn things. If you don't work with them, if you don't encourage them, if you don't tell and teach them to strive for achievement, in this place, if you need to achieve potty training, <laughs> it'll take a whole lot longer and a lot more frustrating. There are other things they need to achieve later on in life to, to get them off on that two-wheeled bicycle and get them off on things uh, on their own. I, you have to... You have to encourage them to achieve some things, but you also got to be careful when you recognize that maybe they don't want this. And they're their own individual life. And that's the time when you back off. I guess I've seen this in a lot of things. Uh, with my youngest son, I guess I've seen it in regard to things in the realm of sports. He's a very good wrestler. But sometimes he just gets really frustrated and, and, and he doesn't want to wrestle. And I'm trying to find that balance. Should I encourage him in that or should I just back off? If he just wants to sit around and watch television, well then there's no benefit in that, is there? You know what I'm saying? Some, you got to deal with that lazy streak that might be there, but at the same time you don't want to push him into something that, that they don't want to go into. I remember several times where he has said to me, look dad, it's not what you think it is. Why don't you get out there and wrestle? Then you'll understand where I'm coming from. And I remember last year running him up to a wrestling camp, I said at one point, to him, I said, okay, Elliot, no problem. You don't want to wrestle? No more wrestling. That's it. It's all over. It's all done. A day or two later, he said, well, I'm ready to go. <laughs> so he's just getting frustrated. <clears throat> we are our own individual people. Don't try to push your kids into your career. Don't try to push your kids into your, your goals and your desires that you set for them. Let, them. let them determine some of this stuff on their own. Do you remember what it was like back some years ago? where it seemed like everybody was trying to push us into the same little religious mold. We all had to wear the same clothes. We all had to talk the same way. We all had to uh, dress, and you couldn't work here, and you couldn't wear and all the rules. Did you like getting shoved into that religious mold? I didn't. Then don't try to shove your kids into a mold that you create for them. Don't, don't, strive, don't pick out something that you want for them and then try to push them into it, but still try to guide them teach them and show them. Sometimes as a parent you'll learn that they've got different talents and abilities. And I think it's great that you can uh, try to encourage them to develop some of those talents and abilities. Uh, Melody, I know, has a real gift in regard to singing. And I'd love to try to, to see her develop that talent and ability more. She, she will sing at other churches, but I'm yet to get her up here because she's afraid of what some, some others might think. But one of these days we're going to, I don't mean to embarrass her, Get her up because she's got an awesome voice. She really does. God has really blessed her with a lot of good musical talent. And I've told Bev many times, that's her talent. And it would be a shame for us to waste that talent by not trying to encourage her uh, to develop it. So all, the, all of your children, you've got to remember that they are their own individual personality. you got to get to know them. And you want to try to... Uh, encourage them not to be lazy. You want them to develop their talents, but don't come up with a goal for your child and then shove your child into that goal because they may not want in that goal. If you're not careful, you're going to produce resentment. You're going to produce anger. You're going to produce uh, hard feelings that are there. You don't want to do that. Let them on their own go. And that includes after they get married. After they get married, you know, the Bible says leave and clean. If they're married, they've left. They're gone. Now let them figure things out on their own. Don't, don't sit back. I've had to do this with three of them married. 
Don't be, sit back and bite your fingernails because, oh, I can't believe it. They're going out and buying a boat. Oh, no. Now they're buying a camper. What do they need a camper for? And a motorcycle. What in the world do they want a motorcycle for? I guess the same thing I wanted a motorcycle for when I was that age, you know? But you sit back and you wonder, how can they afford to take that vacation? How can they do this? And how can they do that? And you have to get a hold of yourself and say, let them go. Just let them go. If they bite off more than they can chew, then the two of them will just have to sit down and say, you know what? We bit off more than we can chew. We've got to figure out a way to get out of this mess. But you can't sit back and say, don't do that. Don't do this. You need to do this. Don't do that. And I've had to watch it because I know I have the tendency to want to do that. And I apologize to my kids if I have. I'm trying my best to let you go and you do your own thing. You, get, you just, you know, if you don't want to have any children, that's totally up to you. If you want to have 25, I won't criticize you. <laughs> Whatever you want. <clears throat> and it's hard. You, you know, when, when you've been close to your kids and they get older and you've wanted them to become something and they've all become something. I mean, all of mine that have left have become something. I'm proud of all of them. And the ones that haven't left home, home are becoming something. Um, you talk about overprotective. You know, Zachary's in boy's state right now. I can think of some parents that would just, oh, I'd never want to send my child to some kind of a political camp in the American Legion and on and on. What are they going to pick up? They can pick up a whole lot of good things in a place where there is discipline, where there is respect for authority, where there is... Uh, where you're around 1,400 kids, you learn to uh, accept other people's personalities and you, you learn to be outgoing. You learn a lot of things that you're not going to learn by, by a hiding back. All my kids that have gone three and have gone, they've all, I've seen some very positive things from stuff like that. But getting back to the idea of pushing for achievement, there's got to be a balance there. Somehow you want to encourage your children, but at the same time, Stop and think, hey, that's not me inside that shell. That's my daughter. That's my son. They're their own person. Maybe they just don't like that. You know what I'm saying? I like engineering. That doesn't mean I'll ever have any of my kids like the same thing I like. They may like something totally different. Zachary likes accounting. I can't stand accounting. I mean, I don't know how he could like it. I can't stand it. But he's him. You know what I'm saying? Um, so each one is a little different, and you have to recognize that. The second one that I miss is favoritism. Favoritism. You know, have any of you, do any of you look back, I know you forget this, and you forgive it, and you put it away, but do you ever feel like maybe there was favoritism shown in your family toward other kids? Can you remember those situations? What a way you can remember those situations, because they just, you know, they're just scars from the past that the devil wants to throw back in your face and you have to crucify him. I, I remember I was raised in a family as the middle kid and, I, and there was definitely some favoritism there. And I, you know, in the past I really had to work at it. It doesn't bother me now, but I really had to work at it and overcome it that, that my uh, brother was treated much different than I was. Because when I got a car, I'd pay for my own car. I remember one time my dad did something to me that I still can remember. And I've brought it up and I've been told many times to forget it. But I, I had my own car. If I wrecked it, I had to fix it. If it needed work done on it, I had to pay for it and get it fixed. Just the opposite of my brother. He went more through more cars than I've got fingers on two hands. I mean, it was always something. And, and my dad was always there fixing it up and helping him out. 
buying them for him. I remember one time uh, the tires on my car were just as bald as you could get. And my dad said something to me about, you know, boy, the tall, tires are getting really bald. I think I'll get you some for Christmas. And so I really thought he did. Dad, where's those tires at? They're in the attic, Michael. Christmas Day came, no tires. I said, where's the tires? Oh, I'm just kidding you. But I still remember that. Because if my brother needed tires, he'd get tires. I had to build my own little moped, my own little uh, mini bike, you know? And when, when they saw that I could build a mini bike, when my brother became of age, my dad went out and bought him the nicest, slickest mini bike you could find. He was the envy of all the kids in the neighborhood and his own brother. And you, you look back at that, and it's like uh, the favoritism that was there, you got to learn from that. Don't, don't pick out one child in your family that is just a little closer to you, that is your pal, that's your friend, and, if you're, and then play favorites with them. And you can do it in different ways besides what we're talking about. Don't put them down by saying, well, why don't you get grades like Amy does? You know, I never have any problems with, with Billy, so why don't you act more like him? And always compare. Don't do that. Don't compare. Don't put them down. I say in jest when I stood up here and said, you know, that Zachary, quote, unquote, is the good son, all the rest say, hasn't gotten caught yet. But they know I'm kidding around. I've got seven, quote, unquote, good kids. They all really are good. They're, all, they're not all angels, but their dad and mom is neither. But I love them all, and they're all really blessings. But at the same time, I really tried not to show favoritism. Because I know, I can think of my past, and I can think when there was favoritism showed to me, I still think about it. I still remember it. It still can bother me if I let it. And I don't want to scar my kids with that same kind of thing. So I want to try to be fair in, in what I do. It's not always easy to do. It's just not. I mean, you know, sometimes you'd like to give a tool to one, but if you're not careful, you've got six more sitting there and say, great, Dad, where's my tool? Next thing you know, you don't have enough money to hand out six more tools. So you've got to kind of watch what you do. And things are different now than they were uh, back then. You know, I've had comments made sometimes by the kids saying, gee, you didn't let me get involved in, in baseball and you didn't let me get involved in football when I was a kid. Well, it was a different situation. We traveled a lot, and they were on basketball teams, and they got to do a lot of things the younger ones haven't. I haven't taken any big trips out west. haven't gone flying off to Arizona uh, with kids. There's a lot of things we haven't done. So each one has had something a little bit different. And as the kids move out and there's only a few left, things probably, probably will be different again. But I like what Bev has said. I've asked her one time. I've, I've said, Bev, how do we how do we avoid showing favoritism? We don't want anyone to think that I was treated less or treated not as fairly as somebody else. And I remember her making a statement to me. She said, well, all we try to do is do the best we can with what we've got at that particular time. I mean, you may, we may have one year where we practically have hardly anything to spend on the kids in the next year, maybe we've got more that we can spend. So maybe that one in that year gets more than the other one. And it's not a matter of favoritism, like we love one more than the other, it's just a matter that that's the way circumstances are. And you'll understand that as you grow up and, and become on your own. But you have to determine in your heart that I'm not going to single out one, maybe it's a girl, and, and you can get along with her so much easier than you can the boy, and single out and show favoritism to the girl, but you can't stand the boy, and he knows it, he feels it, and it will, it will 
hurt him and scar him, affect him if you're not careful. Don't show favoritism. Determine that no matter what, you're going to be fair with all of your children. Fourthly, don't discourage them. Don't discourage them. That means you have to mix some positiveness with some negativeness. When they do something wrong, correct them. But do you praise them when they do something right? Do you let them know when they've done something right? You know, if you ever had to work for an employer that all they ever had, all they ever did was bring out your faults, you'd get a little burned. You know what I mean? You'd get a little burned. We had a meeting one time where they were passing out bonuses. And it's just, it's just the way it is at the place where I work. Well, when they passed out the bonuses, they discussed with you all the things that uh, um, you need to work at to correct, you know, where you've been a disappointment or whatever. So they went through a list of things that they wanted me to work on and then gave me my bonus check. But after they said it, I felt like handing a check back. You know, I just, you just felt so blah. I mean, it, it happens yearly. It's an annual event. One of these years, I'm going to get a gumption up and say, is there anything positive about me? And I'm sure there is, but they, they don't feel like it's just their philosophy. Well, I wouldn't want to say that for fear that it would go to your head or something like that. And that's not right. You wives... Do you like it? Would you like it if your husband never said anything nice to you? I mean, if your husband never looked at you and said, gee, that's a nice dress. You look real nice, hon. Or sits down to a meal and says, hey, that was great. I really liked that. That was a good meal. If you never heard anything, any kind of compliment, you know what? You, you kind of get burned out with the guy, wouldn't you? Yeah. Wouldn't you? <laughs> now, Betty, we know Vern is the ideal man, so you... You're not going to kid us. We know Vern, I'm sure, very, very complimentary. you got a real pearl on your hands, and you know it. <laughs> well, we haven't been in Florida for a while, but Vern, you and I need to talk afterwards. But anyways, <clears throat> it goes vice versa. If the husband never hears anything nice from the wife, I mean, he just, you know, after so many years, you'd reach a point where you just want to say, you know, I can't stand being around you much anymore. It'll, it'll burn you, won't it? Yes, it will. You don't have to say yes, because I know it does. Why do you think your children are any different? I mean, if you as a wife like your husband to say and do nice things to you, to you know, to give you some positive things, not just bark at you for spending groceries and buying another pair of shoes when he didn't think you needed or whatever, you like to hear something positive, and a husband likes to hear something positive, don't you think your kids would like to hear something positive when they do something nice? Sure they would. They're children. Remember, they're, they're another individual inside that shell. So you don't want to discourage them and don't feel like uh, it's an unchristian thing to be positive about them. It is a very Christian thing. I remember where Jesus one time said to Peter, he said, Blessed art thou, Peter. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood is not revealed as unto thee. Then he went on and rebuked him for a comment that was made later on. Do you remember the seven churches of Asia? When the Lord spoke to those seven church, churches, he said unto them, I want to commend you for this, for this, for this, for this, for this, but i got a couple things against you I'd like to talk about. Every one of them, he complimented them for their good points and then went on to show them areas that they needed to correct. In the home and family, if that's the way that God deals with his children, in the home and family, that's the way you need to deal with your children is not to be afraid 
to praise them for the good things that they have done. It, it helps them. It gives them <coughs> a sense of achievement, a sense of value, a sense like of, of accomplishment. It makes them feel like they have accomplished something, they've done something. That's why I guess we've never held our kids back from getting involved in things where there is some competition because it, it strives for them to discipline themselves to whether it's raising animals or working on a computer or throwing a baseball or, or whatever it is. All the kids have got trophies for something because they were striving to achieve something, to attain to something, and, and not just to beat somebody else out, but to discipline themselves and to gain some recognition for their hard work and discipline, which in life is something important. When you have accomplished something, then you ought to hear, uh, hear something positive about it. Otherwise, it can become just very, very discouraging. And have you ever had parents that just never said anything to you uh, in a positive way to accomplish something? Well, if you have, then you know what we're talking about. Here's another one, complaining. Don't make your children feel like they are a burden. I think one way you can really hurt your kids is by making them feel like they were an accident that you've just had to learn to live with. Seriously. Uh, I hope that, you know, I know in my family, if, if I had the choice, like that Roman guy that could have his kids set down between his knees and choose which ones could stay and which ones would go, I know exactly what choices I'd make. Man, I'd pick all seven of them up. I would. There's not one of them that I'd want to get rid of because I love them all. They're, all. they're all great. I don't feel that any of my children have been a burden to me. I, I would never... I love them. If I do over again, I'd do, want to do it just exactly the way that I did. And I hope that some people don't feel like, well, I got into some kind of message where... It was just have as many kids as you can to fill that quiver up and don't use birth control and on and on. And so now I've got nine kids. And, and you express that rotten attitude in a lot of ways that maybe you're not aware of. You tell people and they hear it. Oh, I'd love to go with you to this or that, but, but I just can't. We, we just can't get a babysitter. These little brats, nobody wants to babysit for them anymore. And so you make little comments like that, and they hear that. Oh, Mom thinks I'm a brat. Mom wishes that I uh, wasn't around anymore. Don't make them feel like they're unwanted. Make them feel like they're wanted, like they're a vital part of the family, that without them uh, there'd be something definitely missing in the family. Don't avoid childishness. That's another really important one. I'm going to skip it. It's childishness. Let your kids be kids. Remember their children. I gotta say this to myself sometimes. Remember their children. We went to a, a baseball game the other night, and Elliot took a couple of friends with him, and he got a bit annoying, uh, you know, with these other two boys. He's right out there, you know. Hey, baseball game the other night and Elliot took a couple of friends with him and he got a bit annoying uh, you know with 
these other two boys. He's right out there, you know, hey, swing, you know, trying to get the opposite team to swing at the ball. You're trying to use whatever psychology you can to help the team out. And between the three of these boys, you know, it was beginning to get under my nerves a little bit. Finally, I said, that's it, guys, knock it off. Go find a tree over there and sit down. And, and when I thought about getting upset, I thought, no, you got to let them grow up. They're kids. you got to remember that. I look back at times where, you know, if you're trying to keep your kids in such a strict, rigid way that you won't let them have some fun, you won't let them grow up and do some things and experiment with some, some things, uh, they're going to miss out on some great memories. I mean, there's the Indians sitting out there. These guys can remember that. They played Cowboys and Indians, and Melissa was always the Indian. She's the one that always got picked on. And I still remember them tying the dog up to the wagon and then taking a cat out in front of the dog so the dog would run, and they'd pull him in the wagon. And all there's a lot of other things I'm sure you could talk about that you wouldn't want to bring out, but all the different things that they did. And they're kids. You just have to let them grow up. Some things might be a little childish and a little... Uh, a little foolish, but cut them some slack. I remember one time a few years ago where uh, Elliot was involved in baseball a lot. It seemed like we were going, watching him play his games. We thought, wow, he's really maturing. He's really developing. And one day I came home and Bev said to me, she said, you know, Mike, I saw Elliot sitting out in the yard with his little trucks today. And he's just sitting out there all by himself. And he might have been, I don't know, eight, nine years old taking these little trucks and carving some roads and driving them through the roads and having some accidents all by himself for a few hours just sitting there. And she said, I thought to myself, i got to remember he's a little boy. You know what I'm saying? you got to remember that. I wonder sometimes if kids, if, if, if people when they get older and sometimes they start acting like kids, I wonder if it's because they missed out on some of their childhood experiences, you know? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of men that after they get married and get settled in a little bit, sometimes they do the, they, they do the most immature, dumbest things. I mean, I remember one person, Betty will laugh at this, one person that guy got was married and had several children, and when he went out and bought a new vehicle, he bought one of these little Plymouth or Dodges, little red trucks. We all laughed at How do you get all packed into this little red truck? You remember that, don't you, Betty? And you just, you just want to say, why don't they grow up? I don't know. Maybe they missed out on something in their childhood. Maybe mom and dad wouldn't let them be a kid. Maybe that's why when we were putting the barn up back in about 84, Steve Barton sat out there in the sandbox playing with trucks. <laughs> and I, and wait a minute, I'm not knocking him. I thought, we're all caught a nail. And we're looking around. Where's Steve at? And he's in the sandbox with his talking truck. My talking truck. My kid's talking truck. Not mine. I don't have a talking truck. <laughs> and we all got a chuckle out of it. And I don't mean anything critical by it, but maybe there was something there that he missed out on in his childhood, you know? Or maybe he was just reliving an old memory. I had a lot of good memories in the sandbox. Maybe that's what it was, you know? I mean, maybe it wouldn't hurt to sometimes find an old sandbox somewhere with nobody around. <laughs> just driving myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm making a point. Sometimes you just have to let your kids grow up, and sometimes you have to understand that they're children. And they may do some things that are kind of dorky and some kind, kind of foolish, and, but let them, let them be kids. Don't push them. 
Don't try to make them adults overnight. Here's another thing that's significant. Don't neglect your kids, especially you dads. Don't neglect them. Spend time with them. Don't don't uh, don't neglect your kids. Paul Harvey oftentimes I've heard him um, make this share this little story where he talks about a little boy that goes up to his dad and says, uh, Dad, how much do you make an hour? And the dad, kind of overbearing and upset, says to the son, what do you need doing that for? Leave me alone. Get out of here. The little boy goes back and says, Dad, how much do you make an hour? And the dad replies back and says, I don't know, $20 an hour. Why? And the little boy says, Cause I, would you give me 10 And the dad gets exasperated and upset. And he says, is that all you wanted was money? I should have known. Get out of Go to your room. Sends him off to his room. And later on, the dad gets to thinking about it and feels bad that he was rather short, harsh. So he goes up to his room and he said, Billy, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have been so short with you. Here's the, here's the $10 you asked me for. And the little boy, he lightens up, reaches under his pillow, grabs another $10 and hands 20 back to his dad. And the dad says, what's this for? And he says, well, dad, I'd like to buy an hour of your time. That's what he wanted. He felt he had the money, you know, he could do it. If you don't spend time with your kids, do it. I mean, you have, if you guys are self-employed, I can't think of any good reason why you can't take a day off just to take your kid to a ball game or take them to COSI or take them to the zoo or take them somewhere they'd like to go. There is, I cannot think of one good reason why. You need to do that. You need to bond with your kids. Otherwise, you're going to grow up and they're going, to, they're going to remember those times when they had to do things without you. My, my dad did things with me. He took me swimming. He took me skiing. Uh, I shouldn't say this, but he used to take me up to, to Michigan just to let me drive go-karts. I probably shouldn't say that to anybody because well, Elliot's not here and Zach's gone. I'm safe. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be hearing about it. But, uh, and you older ones wouldn't fit in them, fit in them anymore. I can remember those times, but most of the time wasn't there. I mean, I can remember when uh, I wanted to build a soapbox derby racer. So I told my dad, he said, oh, okay. So he went up and he bought all the things I needed, the wood, and the package came with the helmet, the wheels, and all this. And that was it. Dumped them off the garage, said, there it is, put it together. I had no tools, no saws. I, I tell you back, I had a handsaw. You know, one about yay long. I gotta make a, I gotta take a sheet of plywood and whack this thing out. And he said, No supervision, you're supposed to do this on your own. Okay. So I cut it up, carved it up, cut out the frame, screwed it, nailed it together, borrowed a few tools from the neighbor man, and I had it done. I don't know, it took quite a while, but I got it done. I needed to cover it, so I took an old canvas and I stretched it out and covered it over to make it look like a car. And the tryouts was coming up real soon, so I painted it with greenhouse paint. Real dark green was color of her house back then. And I remember that uh, another, another neighbor man came along, put it on his trailer, took it over to the University of Toledo where they got the big hill, and they put me up on this big hill, and you stick your head down into the steering wheel. I must have only been 12 years old, 13 years old. And they dropped that thing off, and there I go, run, go, go down this race, you know. And I raced this car. And I raced it a few times 
and then I didn't qualify for anything, so that was it. But it was still a great learning experience, except my dad was nowhere to be found. I still remember that. I used to play baseball. I never once saw him in the bleachers. I used to play football. One time he came, and that was to photograph the game because the coach had asked him, and he photographed the family and us hiking the ball. It was a, it was not a, not the best situation to get photographed. Am I saying that to knock my dad? No, I'm saying that because I still remember that. It's a scar. And listen to me, dads. If you don't take a day off from work, and a lot of you have got time you can take off, you don't take that day off of work. You don't take the day off if you're self-employed from work. You don't take the day to do something with your kids. You're neglecting your kids. Your kids need to do something with you. With mom, yeah. But they're around mom all the time, especially if mom's a homemaker. But with dad, you need to bond with your kids, with all of them. You need to do something with them. Otherwise, what he's saying here, you're... You're provoking them to wrath. Well, maybe not anger so much. But you see, that can apply to resentment and bitterness and hurt feelings and, you know, so forth. You can, you can hurt them in a variety of different ways. And that's what you're doing. Is you're provoking by not wanting to spend time with them as you should. So you need to determine to do that, to not neglect your children, but to spend time with them. And here's another one. By withdrawing your love. You should never... You should never say to your kids, now, if you do that, Dad, he's not going to love you. Or just withdraw by acting mad at him or pouting in front of him or whatever. Listen, when you, as an individual, mess up, God doesn't treat you that way. He doesn't withdraw. He doesn't cold shoulder you. Treat your children the way that you want God to treat you when you mess up. I mean, be forgiving. Be merciful. Be understanding. Yes, you have to be corrected. And you got to be firm. God chases whom he loves. But at the same time, treat your kids the way that God treats you. Don't leave the impression that if they're not perfect little kids, then daddy or mommy's not going to love them like they should. Because all that will do is provoke and, and create hurt feelings later on. Let me read to you something that a man wrote one time about looking back after his kids were all grown. You know, my kids, I've only got now the youngest one in the family home. Is going to be 12 real soon. And then they go from there to 14 and 17, and, and all the others are gone. They're all out of the home. And you look back at the way you raised your kids. You know, you didn't. if you had to do some things over, you would do things a little different, but you tried to do the best you could. But that's what this man wrote. He looked back after his, all, all of his kids were gone. Can you do that, some of you, that your kids are gone? Can you look back and think about if you could do things over again, would you do things a little different? Then don't be afraid to express that sometimes to some of the some of your kids so they don't make the mistake with their kids. Here's what this man wrote. He said, First of all, I'd love my wife in front of my in front of my children. Evidently he didn't. But he says, I, I would. I would love my wife in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. Did you ever laugh with your children? You know, if your children are laughing at you? I can't think of, I can't ever think of a time when my kids laughed at me. Oh, I take that back. They'll remember this one. I see Melissa over there looking, and I knew right away I remembered it came to my mind. We were building the barn. Remember that, guys? 
we were building the barn and we dug the footer, about four foot deep. And I don't know, things just didn't get squared like they should have. One corner was uh, lower than the other and it rained real bad and I thought you had to get all that water out of there before you poured cement in, which you don't, but I didn't know that. So I'm down there with a bucket trying to bucket brigade the water out of that footer. That footer is about four foot deep in the ground, three foot in the ground. So I'm bending way over and then trying to lift back up with a bucket to dump it. And one of those times I went down over, I went right down in. My head went down into the mud. My feet were up in the air. You know, I'm three foot. So I can, it was like a grave only. It's only about that wide. I mean, once I got in there, I was wedged in. And so to goof around a little bit, you know, I wiggled my legs and made some noise. Of course, they just had a ball with that. And there's Bev. Good old Bev. Get the camera! Get the camera! Hurry, quick! <laughs> Hearing that, I had to get out of that situation big time. <laughs> and so I got out of there, and my head was all mud. And I'm trying to hose it down, trying to look, you know, look like a pastor should look. <laughs> and they're all running around just having a real laughing ball. Well, I laugh. I didn't laugh at the time. <laughs> but I laugh about it now. At the time, I didn't laugh about it, but... Praise God for the blood of Jesus. Anyways, <clears throat> I'd laugh with my children at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more, even to the youngest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses and stop pretending perfection. I would pray differently for, for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I'd focus more on me. That's an interesting thought. I mean, sometimes... Uh, Instead of praying so much for yourself and your wife, men, sometimes you ought to be really praying for you. Maybe God wants you to change a little bit. Maybe God wants you to be different. I would do more things with my children. I would do more encouraging and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things, to deeds, to words, to love, to kindness. Finally, if I had to do it all over again, I'd share God more intimately with my family I would use every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day to point them to the Lord. You know, I, there's one more teaching I'm going to give you because the last part of that verse is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I want to use the book of Proverbs and give you some real down-to-earth, important, basic things that you should be teaching your children. Work ethics, honesty, keeping their word. There, I've got a list of of 10 or 12 things all right out of the book of Proverbs. And if you can and if you can train your children in those principles, believe me, uh, they're going to be well set in life with some good virtues, from with some strong, good morals and ethics. But let's not provoke our children to wrath, is what he's saying. And I hope all these different things that I've mentioned today, that you think about them, I hope in some way they've spoken to you that we don't do these things with our kids and provoke them to wrath or bitterness or resentment, or hurt feelings, but that we strive to establish a good, loving, working relationship with our kids. Remember, and don't forget this, because I think it's very important. Remember, these children are they're their own individual person inside that shell. You're dealing with a human being. You're dealing with a human being. You know, as a pastor, I, I often think about that. I am When I'm standing up here to minister, I'm ministering and talking to people and their lives. 
are affected by what I say. I'm dealing, that's an awesome responsibility. You're dealing with human beings, their lives, their livelihoods, their futures, and what they do. And so you really have to be careful with what you say and everything else. And it's the same way with your children. You're not raising a dog. That little dog's not, it gets out of control. You're not going to drop it off at the pound if it gets out of control. You're raising a human being that's going to grow up and either be an asset or a burden to society. That's either going to love and serve the Lord or serve the devil. It's either going to glorify God or glorify the world. It's an awesome responsibility. So really take heed to what he says, that you don't provoke your children unto wrath or resentment or bitterness. Don't scar your children. Determine to keep the balances in all the things that the Bible has to say. And that means for a lot of prayer for wisdom on how to train your children. Well, I hope these things have helped in that regard. Father, I pray that the things that we've shared this morning, I pray that you would just open up our hearts and minds and help us to apply them to our children, that we can bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that we can bring them up and not provoke them unto ill feelings. It's an awesome responsibility to raise children. It's not always the easiest thing to do. We just pray for the, the wisdom to continue to raising our children, and we pray that all of those here that don't yet have children but someday will, that these things, they would remember these things and be able to apply it to wisdom so that they can be blessed like I am and others here with a good family as our children grow up. Father, we just thank you because we know it's your hand that has been upon our families blessing us. And we just pray that the things that we've learned will just help others to be blessed. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.